0: I'm not the only
1: Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Schultz, a great follow at AJ 24 based in Sun Perry, Wisconsin, near Rotowire headquarters over in Madison. On today's show, we're back to review the eight first-round series that have completed as of last night, and we'll preview the second-round sets, which some of them have already gotten underway, partner. And uh, your impressions of that first round overall, I guess, are in order.
2: Well, you know, we saw... uh... It's been something that, that I think we've seen in past seasons, and, and this year was no different. Winning the division doesn't do you a whole lot of good uh, in some cases. That, that was the case for, for my Penguins, for your Leafs. Uh, and so that uh, you know, bites, bites you in the butt sometime. As I've brought up on this show before, Evgeny Melgan famously quoted as saying uh, back when the, the Caps would win the division all the time, he would always say, Caps win, win division, we win cup.'" And uh, that seems to be a continuing trend. Uh, you know, we'll see if Colorado can maybe or uh, Carolina can upset that trend. But it certainly hasn't been a good thing to win your division lately or even the uh, the president's trophy that often.
1: Well, and uh, you're you're echoing the fact that our first round choices there were some upsets and uh, my record was five and three yours was four and four though you did have per- two perfect picks overall and I only had one so we'll call that a wash between you and me but uh, we want to break down the uh, the series that went down in the first round before we go to the second round sets and uh, let's start with a team that was uh One of the better teams and the better surprise teams in the regular season, that's the Carolina Hurricanes winning over Nashville. AJ, this was a set that went a little longer than both you and I thought. We did have the right winners, though, and uh, the last four games wound up in overtime. Your overall impressions of this set?
2: Well, I think, you know, more than any other series, I think this one really showed what a, a home ice advantage can do right now when you get some fans in those buildings. Bridgestone Arena was absolutely bumping. And that helped Nashville to to extend this bad boy to, to six games there. So, uh, you know, for anybody that wants to talk about home ice advantage, not, you know, really doing much. Um, I think you need to consider that, you know, we've gone from no fans in many of these arenas to 25 percent, then quickly to 50, in some cases, full capacity. And I, I, I think the players are getting more out of it than than we've been maybe led to believe uh, necessarily. And that, uh, you know, it could be a game changer, uh, especially, I mean, I'll be blunt about it. You know, Canadian teams still haven't really had much. I know they had the, the vaccinated healthcare workers for game seven for the Leafs last night. Um, if there's not fans in, in those arenas, it, it could certainly be a huge factor um, for them not getting a home ice bump once we get to uh, future rounds.
1: Absolutely, AJ. And in terms of the guys that showed up for Nashville, I'm surprised that we would mention uh, the two centermen that we maligned much of the season. Ryan Johansson had three goals for them and one assist and Matt Duchesne, a goal and two helpers. They were not guys that we thought much of in terms of their play during the regular season the credit for them each of them to showing up in this series and then you got the defensemen that were certainly a key to their success all season long Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis doing their thing with four and five points respectively the Canes it was expected that their offense would be led by the usual suspects and no surprise, Sebastian Ajo was at the top of the list. Martin Netskash had a nice series, but Jordan Stahl was a real key surprise contributor. You knew he was going to play a shutdown role against the top uh, offensive pieces of Nashville, but he also chipped in with four goals and one assist. So kudos to him for an outstanding series. Brett Pesci emerging for me, one of the, one of the secrets in the NHL in terms of quality defenseman had a four point set and as well as playing stout defense. If he was playing in a major market, AJ, they'd be talking about this guy as one of the very best defensemen in hockey. That's the secret that the, 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 the extent to which I think he's been a secret thus far in, in his career. So, uh, what about the Florida, the Sunshine State set? AJ, it was a six-gamer. Uh, we both thought it would be. This is one that you got right on. I thought it'd be a seven-gamer, but no surprise that it went the almost the distance. Only one overtime game in this set. The high scoring was there as we expected. Uh, there was one shutout in the series in favor of Tampa. No surprise that Vasilevsky would rise up and take one of those. We expect him to be the best goalie in the playoffs as he was in the regular season. Again, I'll I'll go to you and. Uh, get your impressions on this matchup what uh, what were the surprises what were the expectations and who delivered who didn't
2: well I think the biggest thing you know from the Florida side of it is is they got decent numbers out of the guys you would want you know Huberto had 10 points Barkov had seven points yeah one goal but um, putting up assists being being a playmaker there for them if you want to get nitpicky, maybe you could point out the fact that they were a little power play dependent. Uh, Jonathan Huberdeau had five of his 10 points with the man advantage. Barkov had four of his six. They got decent numbers out of Sam Bennett coming in uh, at the trade deadline. So I really don't think they can be disappointed about that acquisition. I think obviously the biggest surprise was the net binding for them and the fact that they went with, uh, went with Spencer Knight here, had uh, you know some decent decent outings for him and i think it raises a lot of questions for what is going to happen next year you know bob Roski's making 10 million dollars a year you're not paying a guy that to be the backup so do they try and trade him do they leave him exposed to to seattle i think that would be crazy things that potentially happen but maybe they look that way um you know there, there's a lot more questions than answers i think for florida next year tampa it's more of the same. It's exactly what we thought we'd get from last year. The guys that are supposed to produce did, uh, including uh, you know Vasilevsky and, and Kucherov coming in in the postseason. And so uh, this is a buzzsaw team that's going to try and uh, take it all the way again.
1: i got to say, I, you mentioned the Florida goaltending situation. I did not like the call of pivoting away from Bobrovsky. You mentioned the big ticket that he is. He's, he's their guy. He's not their guy on the books for several years. And so... Why pivot away from him from from one or two lousy results? You paid the guy. You've got to stick with him. They just created a hornet's nest of questions to their goaltending situation that could easily have been avoided and left a speculation to say, oh, we have these two guys in reserve. Why did we go with this guy the whole way? The answer is because he's paid the big bucks. You have to go with him the whole way. Now they've got a three-headed monster in that they're probably going to lose dreger I think he's he's gone in the offseason. Uh, unless they deal him ahead of the expansion draft, AJ, I think the smart play would be to trade him in that space uh, to another team rather than lose him outright to, to the expansion draft for, for nothing. I think he's an asset that... That's a credible uh, backup goalie at, at worst. And maybe there's other teams that would have seen enough in him, as I have, to think that he would even, could even contend for a number one role. Heck, I think the Leafs should take a look at this guy, and wouldn't he be a nice partner for Jack Campbell in a nice dynamic duo in Toronto? So I hope the Leafs come calling for a guy like Chris Dreger. Spencer Knight has all the tools, it looks like, to be their future goalie, but the man of the present should have been Bobrovsky, and I think it's a colossal blunder, and it opened up that, that cornice nest that I described. And uh, I think the Florida management team is going to have to deal with that all summer long as a major headache that could have been avoided they all re- also gave a very good account of themselves in the series as you suggested their big guns did respond even a guy like Patrick Hornquist you saw this guy up close AJ he was a buzzsaw in this set got involved physically and the pesky nature of his game highlights what you need in the postseason a guy who's willing to get his nose dirty he did that and he also picked up five points along the way so another guy worth highlighting we were on Carter Verhage early in the season as a a question mark he had a great regular season and he had a decent playoff as well he was a minus three but he did have three points in the six games so I think you can consider him part of the offensive core going forward their defense is sound they certainly missed Aaron Eckblad though in the postseason wouldn't have been nice to see him in this matchup as well you you did a nice job covering the Tampa Bay team their stars did come out to play Kucherov had an outstanding playoff round considering he didn't play all the regular season. Uh, Nice to have a guy come out of reserve like that. I suppose it's a luxury that, all the all the other teams envy at this stage, for sure. And Anthony Cirelli continued to show me why he's such a valuable part of this team. AJ picked up four points, continues to be very, very dependable defensively. One of the best two-way centers in hockey, for my money, so I wanted to highlight him as well. And then Andre Palat, who is sitting in the wings there, always gets to play with the big boys, and he chipped in with three points. I think he's a very good DFS play, uh, low-end price point uh, for him and Alex Killorn that I always take a peek at when those guys are on deck. So a lot of thoughts about that series for me uh, come top of mind. Now one that kind of stings you a little bit, AJ, we both were on the Penguins uh, to win this series rather handily against the Islanders, but we both were wary of the def- the strong defense and the tough checking that they would bring to the table. And uh, they won out over your boys. So uh, I'll give you a chance to, to chime in on what your observations were that there because you saw it much more closely than I did.
2: Well, I mean, for starters, you've got, uh, you know, the Islanders completely shut down the Penguins' first line. Sidney Crosby had just two points. Brian Russ had three. Uh, Jake Gensel had just two. You know, it, it wasn't, yeah, Malcolm wasn't 100%. He missed the first two games, but he played in four games, had five points. You can't complain about that at all. Jeff Carter continued to be phenomenal for them. Four goals in the six games. Uh, even Chris Letang chipping in with six points in, in six games as well, leading the way. So, you know really it was is the lack of that first line and it, it really disappeared um even you know a guy like jason zucker was maligned for much of the year for not producing at the level that he's supposed to he gets two goals one assist like he's right up there with the rest of the guys you know so better than nothing so that's problem number one problem number two is uh tristan jari completely just blew up and and showed showed nothing on top of the fact of the, the game five mistake. I mean, we'll yeah. we'll leave that leave it at that. But the rest of his performance was subpar. 0.888 was the state percentage. 3.18 goals against average. And honestly, I think if Casey DeSmith had been help, healthy, I think there's a chance we probably would have seen him at some point in this series, especially in that game five. I, I think, you know, you're coming off – Islanders put up four, you know, win game four, four to one. And, and I think that game five might've been a good opportunity to see Casey DeSmith. Smith for their part. You know, everybody wants to talk about the Islanders defensively and, and that is their identity. That is their structure. And they got phenomenal net mining out of Ilya Sorokin. Um, but the fact of the matter is they have an offense and it's not the group you expect it to be necessarily. Matthew Barzell still hasn't scored a goal in the postseason here, but that second line, Josh Bailey, Uh, Brock Nelson and Anthony Bolivier has led the way for them and and really produced at a a high level. They get opportunities on the power play as well. So this is a group not to sleep on. Um, I, you know, personally, I don't I don't like the first line. I I don't touch it right now in terms of of DFS. But uh, that second group I've I've used all all postseason, Josh Bailey, especially because this price tag, Just hasn't adjusted for for the most part. So a little bit of a DFS tip of the cap there for for future weeks. They're not playing tonight, obviously. But, um, yeah, the Islanders have more offense than people give them credit for.
1: And it was pretty well spread out as well. You mentioned Beauvilliers with nine points in eight games so far in this postseason. Their leader unexpected as he as he is and uh, Barzell, on the other hand looking for his first goal in eight games only has four assists to show for his record brock nelson to me is an underrated player as a number two center here aj he's a shoot first center in the in the i call him austin matthews light because he's in that same mold as a guy who's more noted i mean
2: we can uh, get to that in a little bit but maybe he's austin matthews heavy based on what we saw in the (laughs) postseason
1: nice nice shot so anyway i i'm i'm curious to ask you about the pittsburgh side you mentioned in a couple of tweets do you think this is actually the end for the core group here we'll talk about the core group in toronto when we get to that team too but for crosby and malkin they are well decorated players in the league along as with chris letang in the the defense corps that trio has had a lot of playoff success and they have the cup rings to show for it but are we seeing the end of that let's call it a dynasty run for those three guys
2: i i think we are to be totally honest with you you know let's not forget we have a new gm new uh, president of hockey operations in there um so i, I think the biggest piece I, you know and i don't know what his value is maybe they won't be able to but um i i think chris letang is is a serious uh, option to be traded he does have a limited, uh, you know, no trade clause, but it, you know, there's 18 teams that he can be traded to. That gives the Penguins plenty of leverage. You'd be bringing him on for just the last year of a deal. So it's it's manageable from that side for for another team. So uh, that I think is potentially piece one is that you trade away Chris Letang in that $7.2 million cap hit. I don't want the, the next thing I'm going to mention to happen. I think he deserves better than this. I think he should have been a Jack Adams uh, award winner multiple times, but uh, I do wonder if they're going to bring in a new coach and get rid of Mike Sullivan. That's four straight uh, first round postseason exits for them since, since winning the cups uh in, in back-to-back years there. I love Mike Sullivan. I think he's a great coach. They should keep him in, in my opinion, but I don't know that that's going to happen again. You have new, uh, Front of you know new front of house and this is on top of uh, the fact that they already forced him to change all of his uh, assistants last year. Uh, from by all accounts last year, he didn't want to change his assistants, they made him get some new people in there anyway. So uh, it, it could be the end of the Mike Sullivan era as well. And I, I will say, Paul, as I sat on those tweets, I'll mention here as well. I for the first time ever, uh, I do think the window uh, is. For sure, closing, if, if not already closed on this group. Maybe if they, you know, wiggle some cap room, get some other guys in here, maybe Crosby and Malkin can make one more run at it. But if they keep all three together uh, with how much they're paying Chris Tang on there, I, I just don't see it.
1: Okay, we'll jump to the next series that uh, where we differed in opinion, and I got this one right. You had Washington winning in seven. I had Boston in six. Boston, in fact, made very short work of the Washington Capitals in a five-game set, and uh, it was close for a couple of games, but uh, the fourth game was the swing one where Boston won by a three-goal margin, and they carried the day with a 3-1 win to wrap it up. They were relatively low-scoring games, which we expected, AJ. So I don't know that there were too many surprises other than the fact that it was a rather short set. Do your observations on this matchup? Well, I think, you
2: know, you have to point out the fact that Evgeny Kuznetsov missed uh, a couple of games here. Um, You also had Ilya Samsonov wasn't available for them for a couple of games as well. And I, I think you can't undersell the impact that that had. Lars Eller missed time. So, I, you know, I don't want to make excuses. They had plenty of talent still left on the ice. But, look, Craig Anderson appeared in two games for the Washington Capitals. One start, one in relief. And I don't think that's their recipe for success heading into this, this postseason. Samsonoff, for his part, you know, lost all three of his outings. And maybe that's, you know, maybe that's part of the problem, you know, coming back from uh, having, having tested positive for COVID. Maybe he just wasn't. Fully up to snuff, you, you would have liked to see a little bit more out of deadline acquisition, Anthony Mantha. Two assists in five games is fine, um, but you certainly want a little bit more from him. But they were very stretched at center when you consider that Kuznetsov uh, and uh, um, Ehler, uh, miss missed some games here.
1: You know what? And that speaks to a problem that was apparent during the late part of the regular season where there were some disciplinary issues with these guys. A couple of players got in trouble with the COVID protocol a couple of times and Kuznetsov was on that list as well as Samsonov. So... Uh, I've heard little whispers that Kuznetsov is a guy whose name is out there in trade talks AJ and maybe the core of the Washington Capitals is another one where we can expect some significant change uh, because moving him would be a very significant move he's younger than than Backstrom at center and a guy I thought that would be a scoring line player for this team for years and years but I think the runway got a lot shorter with the nonsense that the the headlines that he was involved with uh, in terms of the, the COVID violations and so on. And uh, that was a big distraction that this team did not need. They were also hampered by the fact that their starting goalie was similarly uh, in, in, in affected and uh, against a team like Boston, where, you know, their top players show up every single night that you can't afford any slip ups like that. And to me, that was, that was why I had Boston in the series from the outset, AJ. And and it played out to a T for from what I expected. And the next set, A.J., that we're going to look at is the one that pains me the most, and that's the Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens. I'll try and keep my comments short because I could go on, <laughs> on and on about this. We just did a hit with DraftKings where I was allowed to go on, and I thank them for that opportunity. But uh, I just think the Maple Leafs' core, it's a young group, A.J., and I last night I thought they got to blow it up. They got to get rid of somebody. Uh, from that group they are the only team in the league that has four guys uh, costing the club 40 40 million under the cap that's got to change ideally but if you believe uh, as some people do they've only been the favorite of one of their first round exits in the last five years so some people think they deserve a mulligan and let this group have another run I'm undecided about that the way I feel right now they were hampered big time by the 10 minutes into the first game they lose their captain to an awful injury, and that, that kind of caused them to punt that game, and it was obviously a pivotal loss because they were able to bounce back and win the next three games, and I thought they were home and cooled out. Then they dropped two games at o- in overtime, and, uh, and then last night, that was a, a no-show for, for another 45 minutes. The last three games, they, they took so, so long to get on track uh, that uh, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, in a nutshell, did not perform in this series, one point between them over the entire seven-game set. So uh, Willie Nylander at least did his part with five goals, including the meaningless marker at the end of the game that prevented Carey Price from walking away with a Game 7 shutout. But uh, Montreal really clogged up the front of their net, and they checked the Leafs into the ice, and that was the difference in the series, where uh, uh, Philippe Deneau did an outstanding job nullifying Austin Matthews. That's a $3 million player shutting out an $11 million player, and that was a key, key aspect in the series. Carey Price, while he was great, he was not super great or outstanding. Well, or, or the ultimate difference, difference maker for me, it was the checking line against Matthews and that group that carried the day for the Canadians, and at the, at the end of the day, they were deserving winners.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I think for me, you know, I... I I have to look at, at the, the head of the, the operations here and Kyle Dubas. And, and I think you look at some of the deals that he made heading into the off season or into the, the trade deadline here, fifth round pick for Ben Hutton. Yeah. An injury, but that didn't really help you much. Third round pick for David Rittich. That didn't help you at all. He didn't make any appearances in the postseason uh, The first rounder and two fourth rounders for, for Nick Felino. Uh, I think he had, what, one point in four games. He didn't even play all the games there. Riley Nash, a conditional six-round pick. Uh, Again, you know, we're talking six-round pick. It's a coin toss, but, you know, Riley Nash didn't do uh, really anything. Uh, (laughs) In fact, he didn't. He only played in two games. He didn't have any points in those two games. So, I mean, these moves that were supposed to help kind of bolster things and, and give you more depth just showed that the center depth, was never, uh, addressed. And, and I think that was the plan with Nick Foligno and, and it didn't work at all. Cause as soon as Tavares went down, then it was like, well, we just, we'll just focus on the top line and, and do our best against those guys. And, uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Um, so really, you know, some credit to the Habs, right? Like that, we got to talk a little bit about them. Carrie price was at his absolute best. Um, I know Paul, you, you've, uh, taking some shots across the bow at Carey Price in the past, and, and not not undeservedly so, um, but I think in this one he he is the key piece here that got them across the goal line, in winning this series and and really uh, you know taking it taking them on to the, the next round.
1: AJ, I'll put the question to you then specifically: Do you give this core group of the Leafs, the four guys at $40, million, 40, million, 40 million bucks, the management team another crack? going at it uh, with that group intact or do you move say a Marner or a Nylander before next season
2: begins I mean they've they've just got so many UFAs that they need to make other decisions on that you know the, the 10 million dollars or almost 11 million dollars you could get you know if you a Mitch Marner um could could really help you know or, or maybe you try and trade Tavares I I think you'd have riots in the street if you did that one but you know they've they've got to make some decisions here. Some of these are, are depth veterans who are a little bit older, but Riley Nash, Zach Hyman, Wayne Simmons, Nick Felino, Alex Galchenyuk, Jason Spezza, Joe Thornton. Like they talk, we talk about the Leafs being a young team. These are some veteran guys that aren't young by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so, but they're going to need new deals if they want to bring any of these guys back. Um, you know, any, any other playing that they want to do in free agency there they could really use the space and so um you know trading trading one of those guys might not be the worst idea if you can get some sort of value are you ever going to get enough to make the toronto media happy probably not um but you can at least try and do your best there
1: yeah i think of the names that you mentioned the only guy that i want to see back is jason spezza that guy played heart and soul on display every night And uh, he deserved more ice time than he got, quite frankly, playing several of the other top six forwards on this team. He wants to play for this city and he wants to play for that flag a crest on his jersey. I got time for players like that. Others who claimed as much didn't show up. And they know who they are, and they shouldn't be invited back. That should be the barometer. And in terms of people that are coming in for replacement, placing those players, they better have Stanley Cup success on their resume. Otherwise, Leaf fans shouldn't be interested, and neither should their management team. So that's my editorial comment on that to close the books on yet another disappointing season for the team that I love.
2: I'll, I'll trade you Marner for Latang. You can have Latang. He's got Stanley Cup pedigree. I'll take Mitch Marner.
1: If he comes in at a million dollars and they can spend some more money elsewhere, I, I might think about that one. He's uh, less than
2: Marner. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, look, we got the other Canadian series to break down. That's Edmonton versus Winnipeg. We were both shocked at this outcome. We both had Edmonton winning it very quickly instead it was Winnipeg that won it even quicker than than we projected Edmonton in five and uh, Winnipeg swept the Oilers so if there's any team that feels worse group of fans that feels worse than I either the Pens or or the Leafs fan group it's got to be the Edmonton Oilers fans what do you do if you're an Edmonton Oilers fan this morning and how did you see this series uh, eventually playing out
2: well I mean I I don't know what you do if you're if you're a, an Oiler fan right now. You've got two of the best players in the world. Um, you should be able to to win some games. I know I've maligned him in the past, but Mike Smith wasn't wasn't terrible. I mean, he wasn't great, but he wasn't terrible in this outing. We did both say heading into the offseason last year, we felt like they needed to address the goaltending situation um, and get some somebody better in there. Uh, so look, I I don't I still don't think this is a poorly constructed roster. I think they've got pieces here. I just think what happened is Connor Hellebuck turned back the clock and showed up in a way that we have not really seen this season, uh, and was just outstanding. I mean, you're talking about eight goals allowed on 159 shots, a .950 save percentage. Like that dude just showed up and decided that they were winning this series pretty much. Um, You know, they got offensively the boost from from getting Nikolai Ehlers back. Pierre-Luc Dubois seems to have finally figured something out from from that standpoint. You know, he's been adjusting to being on the wing uh, and kind of shuffled back between center and wing. I still don't think long term that's the right plan for them. I think they're better off having, you know, three guys down the middle. But for now, it's what they're going to roll with. Um, so I, you know, I put this less on Edmonton and more on Winnipeg, to be totally honest with you. Connor Hellybuck just wasn't going to lose.
1: And the fact is that Winnipeg has a very big team, a physical team. And if Edmonton wasn't going to outskate them, they were going to run into them. And that would not have been a winning combination for them uh, over the long haul. And uh, it was a short haul because Hellebuck did dial back to his Vezina Trophy form, as you suggested, outdueling Mike Smith, who performed heroically for Mike viewpoint. Uh, A 2.4 goals against average keeps you in every game and he did his part at 39 years of age though I think this could be uh, viewed upon as almost a swan song for him. There's noise about him coming back for another year and the management team does want him back but they got to find a better partner than Koskinen, somebody that they can trust to be the next guy. Koskinen is not Koskinen is not that answer. AJ, you and I both know it. Anybody who saw this Team play all season knows it as well. The Oilers behind Dreisaitl and McDavid, they were looking at the likes of Nugent Hopkins, Pugliarvi, Yamamoto to carry the mail. Those guys combined for two goals and three assists in the four games. You need better support scoring than that. Zach Cassian could have been a physical presence in this set. Didn't receive for any penalty minutes and didn't play much of a physical role when I when I watched these games either. He could have been a bigger factor. So there's a lot of guys that could have looked in the mirror and said could have impacted things much more. Darnell Nurse on defense I think is a stud here and a guy that they can build around that group. But there are talks about Tyson Berry. Uh, being shipped out which I'm surprised to be hearing already AJ that's the biggest surprise that I've heard out of Edmonton's camp uh, in the wake of this postseason but he he is very suspect defensively he was only a plus one so not a glaring problem but overall I I saw him for a year in Toronto and the defense of the side of the puck for him is an absolute rumor and uh, he was very much aided by the fact that he got a lot of ice time with McDavid and, and and Dreisaitl to pad his offensive numbers. But I think they saw enough of him to say, you know what, this might be a sell-high opportunity on him. The Jets, for their part, their stars came out to play. Shifley and Wheeler leading the attack with five points apiece. And Kyle Connor. Uh, looking good with four points but also Nick Ehlers back in the fold uh, played two games got two goals that guy is a dynamic player AJ that doesn't doesn't get a lot of play south south of the border and I think is a guy that uh, they will key on in the next series uh, Montreal will to try and limit him because I think he is one of the drivers of that attack as much as anybody else that doesn't get talked about. And uh, they have a very stout physical defense, too. And it'll be interesting to see how that group plays against Montreal and uh, whether...
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: So they can slow down the pesky forwards of the canadians on the four check make them the reluctant to get involved in the four check we'll break that down, that series down in a few minutes when we get to the second round sets but you know what partner let's take a moment to get a word from our sponsors we'll be back with a look with at, at the remaining uh, first round series and break down that second round series that's gotten underway you're listening to Puckcasts with satsman and aj we'll be back right after this Okay, we're back on the podcast with Statsman and AJ, and we got two more series to break down. We're looking at the Western Division, AJ, of the league, where Colorado and Vegas won their respective series. One was much easier than the other, and we'll start with the easy one, and that was where you had it right on the button with a four-game sweep by Colorado. I picked Colorado to win the series, but I thought it would be more of a dogfight. And let me say this, it was based on the fact that I I liked – the pedigree of St. Louis is a recent Stanley Cup champion with some of its core still returning. And and I thought that they would rely on that uh, that savvy uh, to, to make this a competitive set. But they basically got steamrolled by Colorado, and you saw it coming from miles away. I give you tons of credit for this call.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, you know, you add in uh, the, the game one of the, the next series, but you're looking at Nathan McKinnon. With eight goals and four helpers in five games, Gabriel Landeskog, four goals, seven helpers, and Miko Rantanen, two goals, seven assists for his part. I mean, these guys have just been showing up every single night and putting up points on everybody. So uh, it, that is an offensive team that is just cruising right now. And honestly, on, on the back end, you've got Philip Grubauer, who was just announced today as one of the finalists for the Vesna Trophy point nine four one save percentage in the playoffs here i mean this guy they've got an unbeatable netminder. offensive production coming out the wazoo from that top line and they're even getting it from the back end you've got you look at their top five point producers kale mccarr comes in at number four with seven points ryan graves comes in at number five with five points and so these guys have just been outstanding they There's not really a huge weakness to this team. If there's one spot that I don't like, it's maybe their center depth with, you know, Nazem Kadri suspended for, you know, likely until game seven of this series. And unless the neutral arbitrator makes a a different decision there. But even that, like JT Confer, Tyson Yost have have filled in okay. Um, And when you have an unstoppable top line like this, I, Look, the, the final that would be really interesting to watch would be the battle of the top lines to see Colorado go up against Boston and just see what that would look like. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I totally expected them to steamroll them because they, they just don't have a lot of weaknesses. Uh, and, and the Blues, all season long, have just had somewhat suspect netminding from uh, from Bennington, And so you have Powerhouse offense, already shaky netminder, it was a recipe for disaster, and that's why we saw the Avs put up 20 goals in four games here.
1: But, A.J., I, I like I said, I was looking at the veteran guys on St. Louis who are recent Cup winners. O'Reilly, three assists. Tarasenko, two, two points. Bozak, two points. Hoffman came up with one goal. Sammy Blay, one goal. Braden Shen, one point. Colton Perico, one assist. And then nobody else did anything. Jaden Shorts was blanked. And so... I expected much more from a lot of guys that play the two-way game very well in St. Louis, but they were steamrolled by Colorado. And again, I give you credit for that call. Outstanding work, their partner on that one. The last series was one where uh, it went the distance, and uh, I called this one, so I'd give myself a little bit of a pat on the back. I thought Minnesota played very well in the last month and a half of the schedule, AJ, and I knew they would give this team a headache. You said also it would be a long series. You had them in six, so we're both on the right side of this equation. But let's give a tip of the hat to the Minnesota Wild here for making it a very big challenge for Vegas. And setting them up for that first game debacle loss against Colorado that we will talk about in a sec.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you the thing that you have to like and be encouraged by if, if you're a fan of theirs uh, of the wild is that the the guys that produce now nobody had more than three points, um, which is a bit of a concern, but it's all spread out, which is also a benefit. So it's like depth versus star power. Right. Um, but. Kaprasov gets three points. Joel Erickson-Eck has three. Jordan Greenway has three. Like these are some of the up and comers in your organization that are going to lead the way um, into the future. Kevin Fiala with two with two points. You know, um, so I, I guess it's it's a little bit of a give or take. They they ground out some wins. Cam Talbot uh, was another goaltender that kind of turned the you know turned the clock back a, a little bit here. He had an outstanding series. Um, you know but on the other side I, I think the concern for me with Vegas is that you know for a couple games there the, the offense really you know dried up you, know, you have game one they didn't have any goals you got uh, game six they didn't have any goals just two in game five so uh, but then they explode for seven in, in, in game Set or six in game seven right so like they're just their offense is so streaky right now um, that it's questionable and and look I I, I, Paul, you give me a hard time all the time for being the, the head of the Marc-Andre Fleury fan club. And, <laughs> and while I am not uh, a part of any official fan club, if there is one, I probably should join. But having said that, I know Fleury's last couple of games were a little shakier than they had been, but I... We'll get into this later, but I can't believe they started Robin Leonard for game one of that series, and I'll be blunt, they got what they deserved.
1: <laughs> very, very interesting call. We'll get into that in a sec. But you mentioned Cam Talbot. He receded for a, uh, a couple of outstanding performances in this set to win a couple of games. But Minnesota also outshot Vegas a couple of times and lost those games. They were that close to really winning this series outright, AJ, and Vegas has to think they almost escaped that first round rather than winning it, I think is the way I would frame it. They certainly have to be pleased that Max Pacioretty's back in the fold and he hit the ice running with a strong performance in his first game back and uh, looks like he's ready to resume uh, his role as a very, very key part of this team going forward and they'll need him to be at his productive best to have a shot against uh, the steamroller that is the Colorado Avalanche. But uh, I have to say, I was a little alarmed by the the up-and-down nature of the Vegas Knights. We know that they have the high-octane offense, but I think their their defense hurt them uh, a little bit, and their structure was not in place. For all the games in that first series, like we've seen it for much of the season, and, and that made it a tough workout for marc Andre Fleury, who was full value as maybe the key piece for that that got Vegas through this set. It was a much more a much tighter fit than anybody really should have envisioned when these team line, teams lined up. But we saw it coming because Minnesota, as I said, did have that strong second half of their season and really really scared the heck out of out of uh, Vegas fans everywhere. All of this now, AJ, brings us to the fact that we only have eight teams remaining and uh, it's time to go through the second round. And unfortunately for us, re- really to make a, a pure preview, we're, we're partway through a couple of the series. In Boston and the Islanders, we saw, we've seen the team split two games. The Bruins, a decisive winner in game one at home, but they were somewhat surprised in game two with an overtime loss. And uh, let's break down this series from the point of view of goalies, defense, and forwards as we normally do. Can you take us through your observations of the goalie matchup in this set?
2: Well, the goalie situation has been very murky uh, with the Islanders. You know, they they got some really good, solid games out of Ilya Sorokin, um, you know, but then he kind of gives up five or four goals, rather, in, in game one against Boston. So then they went with Barlamov in game two, and, you know, that 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 wasn't much better uh, performance, you know, goaltending-wise from Barley. They, they did get the win, as you mentioned, but uh, I'm a little surprised that they went with Barlamov. I, I would have thought Sorokin would have earned himself a little leeway when you consider he won four straight games against the Penguins, and, and basically, you know, he won the series for them. Uh, So, yeah, I was a little surprised to see that decision. Things have suddenly gotten a little murky on the other side, too. When you consider Tuka Rask, uh, you know, they announced today he's he's banged up, dealing with some injuries, expected to be okay for game three. But uh, at some point, do you, you know, do you maybe look Swayman's way if, if, if he just doesn't look right? Um, This was, you know, his worst game of the postseason was was this last one here. It gave up the most goals. It's the only game in the playoffs. He's had a sub 900 save percentage. So uh, I I think it'll probably continue to be rask as long as things don't get worse. But it's certainly something to keep an eye on. Um, On the other side, I I have no idea. I think what we can expect out of Barry Trotz to continue to tell us is that it will be a left handed Russian netminder. So we can feel pretty (laughs) confident we're not going to see Corey Schneider. Um, but from that, the rest of the way, those guys could uh, be sharing some duties. I personally would go back to Sorokin uh, for
1: my money. You know what? I think that's the the prudent call in my estimation based on the first round that we saw. He definitely outperformed his partner and deserves the lion's share of the starts based on that matchup. I, I look at the depth charts on defense here, AJ, and it's it's plain to see that both teams are predicated on, on their respective groups on the blue line, but not really a lot of star power uh, unless you highlight Charlie McAvoy for the bees, And that might be the only reason that you give them a slight, slight margin. But we've talked at length over the couple of years now about the shutdown unit that the Islanders feature at the top of their pairings, and that's Pellick and Pullick, Adam and Ryan, respectively, uh, not known for offense. If you're looking for offense from this group, you might be limited to Nick Letty, who's a second-pairing guy partnered with defensive-minded Scott Mayfield. Andy Green and Noah Dobson give you a a nice look with a veteran and a youngster who has an upside there, Noah Dobson. I think his best days are ahead of him in terms of being an offensive contributor, but right now he's in a third-line role, kind of shielded from the they try to keep him away from the top opposing forward line, so he shouldn't see the, too much of the perfection line in this series. Meanwhile, the Bruins will trot out a bunch, of, like a relatively no-name defense when you look at what they've been able to do in recent years. And it's notable that two of their top guys in previous years, are already out of the playoffs in Tori in Krug and Zdeno Chara. So that's left them with the likes of Matt Grizzlick and Charlie McAvoy at the top pairing there. Mike Riley, an outstanding addition for me, AJ. He's shown an offensive flair that I didn't expect to see out of him. He's more noted as a rugged defensive type, but fits the Bruin mold. And boy, uh, facing him and Brandon Carlo is a chore when you think about the defensive acumen of Carlo, a beast in the mode of the... Uh, uh, of the aforementioned Chara as a big guy who can motor and, and is a, a murder to play against because of his physical play. Then you got the third pairing, Jeremy Lozon and Connor Clifton, two guys that uh, just kind of hold the fort. They're more defensive-minded than the offensive side of the puck. So there's not a lot of DFS value on either side of the coin here, AJ, but do you say anything different when you break down these pairs, which I, groups which I think are almost identical in terms of uh, quality and depth?
2: I mean, the one thing I would mention is Charlie McAvoy. I do think has some offensive upside yeah. when you consider that all six of his assists have come with the man advantage. So that's kind of a nice little perk. If you're going to stick him into your DFS lineups, whether that's worth the price or not, uh, that's a you know decision. Uh, <laughs> our listeners will have to make on, on a nightly basis here, but uh, I, I do think you're right outside of that there's not anybody that's going to put up with uh, numbers with any sort of consistency. So that's, that's certainly a concern among the forward ranks. Look, I I talked earlier about the fact that, um, you know, the Islanders have a number of offensive pieces that are producing on, on that second group. And I think if they are going to get past Boston here, they need to find something with the first, uh, the first trio, Leo Komarov, not doing much. Matthew Barzell, I mentioned, doesn't have any goals yet. Jordan Eberle uh, is contributing um, a little bit here. They've gotten good numbers out of Jean-Gabriel Pajot in, in that third center group. We we talked about him all season long. He had two points in, in game two there. And so I, I think there's definitely um, some death pieces. But when you want to talk about star power, obviously, you're looking at Boston. And, and that top line there, the perfection line, those guys co- combining for 23 points in seven games here. Um, you know, if there's if there's a criticism, you could point to, you know, maybe David Creechie doesn't have any goals, but he does have five helpers. Who's complaining about that? Taylor Hall continues to produce three goals, one assist in seven games. So there's not a lot of concern. I guess my one, you know, flag would be the fact that Craig Smith, is dealing with uh, an injury that kept him out of game two. Jake DeBrus, for his part, though, stepped in admirably um, in, in that one. Yeah, he didn't put any points uh, on the board in that game, but three shots on goal, three hits. Like I, I think that's a fine outing for him paired with those top guys, and, and I think the points will come there. So uh, the more star power leans towards Boston, but both of these are, are relatively deep clubs. I guess I would favor the Islanders in, in depth personally.
1: Uh, I'm going to go on the other side of that uh, ledger, AJ. I'm going to give a small check mark in favor of Boston. It is a slight edge, but it's also for me because of their second line. Uh, there's nobody on the. Uh, islanders that compares the first line the bruins uh, can trot out there let's say that right away and M- matthew barzell has underperformed in these playoffs so i give a big check mark for the first line for boston in most series but double double that because of the struggles of the islanders star center it's the second line though, so they're compelling viewing aj in this series the Taylor Hall's addition to the Boston Bruins has been a jumping off point for this team. In the season series, it was 5-3 to three for the Islanders. Interesting to note that Boston won the last three contests after the acquisition of Taylor Hall, and they added to that with the first game of the series, though the Islanders did rebound to win the overtime game, so they broke that streak a little bit. But David Krejci has to be thrilled because he's got now a, a prime-time sniper on his wing. And Jake Debruska's has had some, some nice runs in previous postseason. So he had a subpar year, motivated for better results in the postseason. So I like the fact that he's installed as, as a replacement for Smith uh, as long as he struggles. But it's a it's nice, nice depth option for the Bruins. In terms of the bottom six, Nick Ritchie has played a lot of top six minutes for them on the season. And Charlie Coyle is a luxury for this team, AJL that as a third line center he would make it as a second line center on a handful of teams in this league i do think there's a bit of a weak spot on the right flank with smith out of the lineup they have to promote a guy like carson coolman into the top nine forwards and then after that it's a plug and play with guys like corrali lazar and wagner in their fourth line the islanders it's i can't say anything about the forward lines on the islanders without a mention of their fourth line the best fourth line in hockey, Casey Zizekas, Cal Clutterbuck, and Matt Martin, they get you in a mixer, and they play They, they play like they bounce off everything on the ice whenever they're out there. So you got to have your head up when these guys are out there. And Cal Palmieri's finally uh, acclimatized himself to the Islanders situation. So I'll give them the edge in terms of third line here because I really like this third line the Islanders trot out in Jean-Gabriel Peugeot and Zajac playing with Palmieri. And you mentioned it earlier, even in the drafting segment that we'll highlight on YouTube a little bit later on today where we made an appearance. Anthony Beauvillier, Brock Nelson, and Josh Bailey have been carrying the mail for the Islanders in this postseason. And, they, and if they hope to extend the Bruins, this line will have to continue to play lights out and... Uh, and be the biggest factor as long as the Islanders' first line is not doing what they need to do. Which brings us to our series predictions, AJ. Uh, I've talked a lot. I need a break. So break down the series for me. Uh, overall, what do you see playing out? I
2: think we're going to see a lot more of what we saw in Game 2. You know, the, the three-goal uh, victory in Game 1, I think it's going to be an, uh, an outlier for this series. Uh, I do ultimately expect Boston to take it. Maybe I'm underselling the Islanders a little bit. Maybe it's some sour grapes there, but I do think uh, Boston is, is the better built team here. I do think it'll go the distance and I'm expecting Boston to close it out in a game seven at home.
1: I am with you, uh, except for, I think they're going to do it on the road. I'm taking the Bruins in six. I just think that their offense with the two lines are going is going to be more than enough for the Islanders to handle and, uh, I I, that's also predicated on the fact that I hope that Tuka Rask is healthy and that he can play in this series. And if he does, that gives them an edge in goal. So I give them an edge in goal, an edge in offense, let's call the defensive wash, and I come away with a Boston victory in six games in this set. Then a series that some people would hope would have been the Stanley Cup final in other other times or a semifinal. We're getting this series a lot earlier in the playoffs than we otherwise would, AJ, and that's Colorado versus Vegas. The regular season series was tied at four each, and uh, we saw game one, uh, a game that we'll talk about right off the top for a little bit because you said it best. You were surprised by the goalie choice for the, uh, the, the Knights. They kind of sacrificed Robin Leonard, I'll say, thrown into the Lions, a Colorado team that was waiting for the other series to play out, and Vegas had to go from the frying pan into the fire after playing with Minnesota for seven games. They were fed to the, to the wolves here as the, the avalanche came out, and they threw an avalanche at Vegas in that first game. Your thoughts on the goalie call? Uh, go ahead. Uh, well, I think our, our, uh,
2: one of our uh, writers for Rotowire summed it up best in his headline on that, uh, on that uh, game wrap there, calling it nightmarish playoff debut for Robin Leonard. Look, you get to play in your first game since you know before the postseason started. You were used to go, I mean, they literally, these guys went every other night from about late March all the way through the end of the season, uh, really splitting the crease. You lose out on, on the, the games, and so you finally get your opportunity. And, boy, was that not uh, the way to secure yourself most postseason games. I, I would not be surprised if we don't see any more Robin Leonard the rest of the year after after that one. Now, he did face a lot of shots. 37 is a, is a lot of shots to face, certainly, but uh, seven goals allowed, that that's just brutal. And you know what I, I think it was most telling was the fact that they left him in there which speaks to me that they were more giving Flurry a night off. That yeah. that's what it seems like to me. If if the decision was that you were going to switch to Leonard and and you know maybe go back to a split or maybe give him a couple games and, and an opportunity here, you probably would have pulled him, I think, and, and put Flower out there. You know, after it got to to four or five or something. So um, yeah, I would expect we'll see marc Andre Flurry for Game Two. Uh, I will tell you this, my, uh, we'll talk about our predictions in a little bit, but if we do see Robin Leonard for any more games, I'm going to cut down the number of games (laughs) that uh, uh, this series is going to go because uh, it's, it's not going to last long based on, on that performance. On the other side of the ice, we talked about Philip Grubauer nominated for the Vesna trophy. He came out and looked exactly uh, as you would expect and stymied an offense that's been streaky at best anyway. Um it, it'll all be Philip Phil Gruhauer. No goalie compre- uh, you know, conflicts at all <laughs> in Colorado. They know who their starter is,
1: and they know who they're going to use the rest of the way. And uh, you know what? I can't disagree with anything that you did say. It was clear, though, that they were trying to buy – Flurry some time and get him a rest. He's uh, in his latter part of his career, obviously late 30s in age, and he played a ton of high leverage minutes against the Minnesota team that was relentless in a number of games in that series. and And they uh, they punt, they effectively punted on that first game, but there were other casualties on the Vegas side of ledger. We'll get to the forwards where they're they're weakened a little bit at that level. But uh, before we go there, let's highlight the defense and. Uh, uh, you know what? Star power all over the place for Vegas. Alex Pietrangelo and Shea Theodore leading the parade as top two, two top DFS plays, night in, night out, but uh, maybe uh, a B-level version of, of that the dfs value you find it in alec martinez who partners out with alex petrangelo in a lot of those high leverage minutes as the top defensive pair so that's where most of the dfs value is it's a shame for them that braden McNabb is out of the lineup so that weakens the depth here a little bit and forces them to play nicholas haig and zach white cloud a little bit more than you would otherwise expect and maybe even nick holden to a certain extent i think McNabb would even threaten for top four minutes in this pairing, if, this grouping if he was healthy. So uh, they're not going in with a full deck over there. Meanwhile, Colorado, you know what? They don't talk about Kale McCarr as much as they should in the league uh, press releases and the game summaries that I've seen. But in the last 30 games, he's been almost a point-per-game player there. Maybe it's a function of playing out in the West, but some players just, uh, they're in the clouds when... when uh, And people don't see their results as well as some of the guys on the East Coast or even Central. But McCarr, one of the top values in DFS play, night in, night out for the high-octane offense that we've described. Devin Taves is his partner, so he's kind of a a sneaky DFS value play. Even the second-pairing guys get involved in the offense quite regularly, and that's Samuel Garrard and Ryan Graves. So... Four real good options for DFS play in this po- this postseason, as long as Colorado is playing with that high octane offense uh, at full tilt. Uh, guys that mind the store more on the third pairing defensively first is uh, Patrick Nemeth and Connor Timmins. Not too much DFS value there, but they complete a really nice looking six pack, and they have some depth with the likes of Bowen Byron sitting in reserve. So uh, when you're going on a hoping to go on a long playoff run, you need that depth, and I think. Colorado has that in reserve as well so how do you break down the defenses of um, both teams AJ there's a lot of star power in Vegas the way I see it and uh, a good number of players that fit that bill on, on the other side as well well I love the
2: Colorado blue line I, I think
1: it's phenomenal one of the
2: best things that they did recently was going out and, and getting Devin Tays I mean they've got a four pack of guys who can legitimately contribute offensively McCarr seven points Graves five Taves and Garrard both of them picking up three helpers a a piece there and and I think that's a a stud group there that's really maybe as you said a little under maybe the rest of us just don't want to show up uh you know don't want to show up uh and watch games that late but um on the other side you know I mentioned three assists for some of those guys. That's great. Three assists for Alex Petrangelo. That's awful. <laughs> like That guy should not be doing three, you know, three assists. He needs to be producing closer to, to the graves numbers. So the injuries are definitely a factor. Braden McNabb being hurt and, and missing some time is a, is a factor, but I have loved Colorado's group uh, all the time. And, and I expect them to continue uh, rolling and, and producing the, the rest of the postseason.
1: Uh, let's break down the forwards, AJ. We begin with a look at the Vegas side of things where that first game took a bite out of their depth but when you consider Math- Matthias Janmark looked to me that he got pretty rocked in, on a hip in that game one, so a casualty, physical casualty, but then a brain fart by Ryan Reeves is going to cost him a couple of games, and that's a pivotal loss I think for Vegas he brings a ton of physicality to his game and let's face it he instills fear in some opponents because he's the toughest dude uh, in the league for my money and uh, so they'll miss him big time and uh, people should not sleep on the center of the first line when you talk about sneaky good DFS value play I begin and end with Vegas's Chandler Stevenson who has had a very nice season in between Mark Stone and the recently returning to the lineup Max Bacheretti that line is intact and rolling uh, ready to roll rather in the playoffs and uh, I think you got to consider stacking these guys because the average cost goes down as Stevenson is undervalued relative to the other two guys who are the snipers who get the high leverage minutes and most of the scoring opportunities uh, when this team is on its attack the second line nothing to sleep on they've been intact since almost the inception of this franchise, Marchesol, Carlson and uh, Riley Smith, who has had a nice uh, playoff run. Uh, This team is primed because of their top six to be a factor. Anytime they they hit the ice because of that six pack up front, they could put them up against any group in the league, including Colorado's top six forwards from my uh, investment in DFS play. Matthias Janmark, there'll be, there'll be a key loss there. William Carrier likely moves up into the third line role on the wing. And uh, then after that, you look at Nicholas Roy and Alex Tuck. Alex Tuck is a a real nice wild card for for the Knights to have. He comes up and chips in with a lot more offense than you see from other third line wingers around the league. So great value among their top nine skaters and uh, not a whole lot in reserve after that. The uh, Avalanche for their part... We know all about their top line. I've said it on another show. If you call the Bruins perfection, top line the perfection line, they've got to come up with a similarly euphoric name for McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog, and you said it best. Boy, wouldn't it be fun to watch those two lines go head-to-head in the a, in a Stanley Cup final? But I don't think any team has an answer for this trio either. And behind them, they're going to miss Nazem Kadri on the second line. And I'm surprised that they plugged in J.T. Comfer as a second-line center here, A.J. ahead of Tyson Yost. It just shows you that he's continuing to spin his wheels in terms of qualifying for a larger role here. And the uh, uh, and similar story on the wings when you consider Valery Nichushkin ahead of Yunus Donskoy on the right side and uh, Brandon Saad ahead of Andrei Burakowska. I think we might want to flip those on our rotor wire depth charts uh, going forward. But I'll leave that to you and your breakdown of the forwards too at this point.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I think everything you you pointed out there is, is um – is is. I'm pretty accurate. I don't have a ton to add. You know, the the depth certainly drops off a little bit for Colorado, but I do like Brandon Saad uh, on that second line. And, and to your point, you know, Confere, uh filling in right now, Tyson Yost has gotten opportunities there. He hasn't been unproductive in the postseason. You're looking at three points in five games, nine shots on goal, six hits. I mean, it's, it's not a terrible performance by him. They certainly will miss Nadzim Kadri. There's no doubt about it. He just bolsters the the overall depth here. They've got a couple of really uh, unheralded youngsters in Alex Newhook and Sam Ranta playing on that that fourth pairing as a result. But um, they've got a veteran guy like Carl Soderberg available if they if they want to use him. Uh, and so I, I like Colorado's depth here. Vegas as you said they are facing some serious question marks right now if we, you know if Matias Yamark's gonna miss any significant amount of time they won't have Ryan Reeves for the next two uh Thomas Nosek has already been out for for a while now so that's gonna really hurt and they're gonna probably just have to rely that much more on the top six it seems like one man in one man out they as you mentioned they got Patrick Ready back which is huge for them He's uh, you know performed well, a goal and an assist in the first two games back, and I, I expect him to continue to highlight uh, that top line for them. But they they have some serious questions to face here heading into you know game two.
1: AJ, this uh, I'll call this the mini Stanley Cup uh, final because it's the top two teams in the regular season facing off. Again, a shame that it's already in the postseason. But in terms of the call on the set. I looked at the impact of that first round to make this call, A.J., and and I I think Colorado's got this series. I think they're taking it in six games, and uh, a large price was paid in that first game to give them more. I think it's more than a one-game advantage early on because of the impact of the injury and suspension, but uh, I don't count Vegas out because they are definitely a quality team, and it will be heard from before the series is out. I do take the abs in six, though.
2: Uh, Well, I say this uh, assuming that Marc-Andre Fleury will skate out and lead the team onto the ice for game two. If he doesn't, then I'm switching to Colorado in four. But as long as Fleury's playing in game two, I do still give the edge to Colorado, but I expect it to take seven games uh for for them to close this one out I, I think it'll be a longer run out um but yeah if robin leonard leaves the team out in the ice for game two colorado and four in a in another sweep because that was just a, such a bad performance yikes
1: <laughs> all right then we go to uh, more sun city locales for the next series and it's tampa versus carolina the regular season set was tied at four games each but uh I think uh, I think this is one where we d- disagree a little bit, and I'm looking forward to getting into it. What's the goalie matchup looking like to you, partner?
2: Well, uh, you know, uh, for their part, the Lightning, no question about it. Andre Vasileski, uh, another nominee for the Vesna Trophy, and, and we should mention Marc-Andre Fleury was the third nominee for, for that award. So we've still got all three of those guys are still playing in the postseason. So Vasileski will obviously lead the way. On the other side, you know, it looks like it'll be Nedeljkovic taking game two tonight. Uh, after you know, I, you know, there were some people saying that his you know his last game wasn't great, but he only gave up two goals on on thirty shots. It was a you know nine three three save percentage. Like he played fine in game two, in, in my opinion, and I, so I don't really know what the concern is there. Um, You know, that last game against Nashville was his only save percentage under nine in the postseason, but they still managed to close out the series and get the win. So I don't know how you move away from Nedeljkovic at this point. So I think it's pretty clear we'll see him. Uh, I think he would have to put out some really bad outings for an extended period of time because you look, you know, they he gave up five in game three against Nashville he gave up four in game four against Nashville and then he still was the the starter for the rest of the way so I think at this point he's earned the rope here to continue to to skate out there and and lead the way for them
1: yeah I think it's a great call at least they have a very solid secondary option in Peter Mraz who was their number one guy much of the season AJ but and against almost any other team you might say give the edge in Carolina's favor but not when uh, Vasilevsky's at the other end of the ice he's clearly a cut above either one of these guys maybe both of them uh, together even so that's how good he's been all season and into the postseason on the defense uh, again we're looking at some star power on both sides Dougie Hamilton is a guy that we all know about as a centerpiece for the back end here but the the the, don't sell the other three guys in this top four short at all. Jacob Slavin and Brett Pesci, both these guys should be getting a lot more ink than they, they have received. Brady Shea, is kind of, Shea has taken a bit of a backward step in terms of his offensive production this year, but it's still pretty good, nice-looking nice, nice looking quartet there at the top of the, their rankings on the defensive side of the puck, and all four of them could easily factor into DFS play and good value plays if you're interested in stacking the, the Hurricanes in any games going forward. Jake Bean and Yanni Hockenpah, much is expected of Jake Bean as he develops in his career, but it's a little early for him to be a primetime player. That's why he's relegated to third-pairing duties, but another guy that, if you're in a dynasty league, this is a guy that I think you should consider stashing because I think he's going to be a, a top part of this team going forward. They do still have my old buddy Jake Gardner on the list. i got to mention him before you do, AJ. <laughs> but uh, a nice-looking defense here, all told, on the Carolina side. On Tampa side of ledger, look at Victor Hedman, uh, he's odds-on favorite to win the – the Norris Trophy again, in my estimation. He's partnered with Yanni Ruta now because David Savard is dealing with a bit of an injury situation, so that's a bit of an upset to the top pairing that you might be concerned about. Ryan McDonough, defense first pairing on the second group with Eric Cernak. But don't sell Cernak short. He's, he's pretty productive offensively in fits and starts this year. And the same can be said for Mikhail Sergeyev in, uh, in his third right, pairing role with Luke Shen, a guy who's revitalized his career yes, ever since he arrived in Tampa late last season. Sergeyev, a sneaky good BFS value play. He'll get some time on a second power play unit as well to enhance his overall value. How do you break down the defenses? Anything that I missed, partner?
2: Well, I think you could uh, break down the defenses exactly the same without changing much. You've got one star player who produces a ton offensively, gets a lot of power play minutes and, and opportunities. A couple of other guys who can ch- contribute off, op- you know, offensively that maybe are a little underwhelmed, and then uh, some depth shutdown defenders to round it out. I mean, that, that's basically the same description for both teams. And in, in Dougie Hamilton and, and Victor Hedman, you know, if you want again, if you want to be picky. Victor Hedman, no goals yet, nine helpers, eight of those coming on the power play. So uh, the five on five numbers aren't aren't great there, but who cares, right? If The puck's in the back of the net, the puck's in the back of the net. I think that's all that matters. So um, overall, I don't see a lot of huge differences uh, defensively in this club where the differences for me come are in the forward combinations now things are a little bit shuffled around because nino niederreiter is out and dealing with an injury so you'll get brock mcginn on the first line with sebastian ajo and tuvo Teravainen as they kind of stretch uh their, their line combinations here then you've got jordan martinuk vincent trocek and martin Necash on the third one or the second one rather and then Andrei Sveshnikov, Jordan Stahl, and Warren Fogle making out your third group. But obviously, Jasper Fast could be a, a factor in there as well. And look, if they need a goal, uh, they simply move Sveshnikov up to Ajo and Teravainen's line and, and stack those guys together. So they have some flexibility and the ability you know, to, to, to move things around. In Tampa, it's, it's somewhat similar. They're a little bit more top six heavy. And in my opinion, you've got Palat, Point, and Kucherov. Stampco, Sorelli, and Kalorn as your, your one and two lines. And in the third line, I definitely give the edge to Carolina because how they've stretched it out. Barclay, Goudreau, Yanni Gord, and Blake Coleman, not exactly the same uh, trio there. So it's it's a slight edge for me for Carolina in these combinations. If you're picking the, the one-star player from all of that, obviously Nikita Kucherov has come back and having a fa- fantastic uh, way uh, you know, postseason in, in his return and, and really leading the way there.
1: And that's helped revitalize Braden Point. He was struggling offensively for part of the latter part of the season, AJ, but in top form right now, and that makes Andre Pallad a sneaky good DFS value play if you want to stack that line. Similar story for the second unit. The star power is Steven Stamkos, and uh, Anthony Cirelli is a guy who's elevated his profile. He's like Chandler Stevenson over in Vegas, AJ. Lucky to be uh, placed in a top six role and growing into that role with uh, the stats showing that, that growth as well. Alex Killorn, another in a, a sneaky good value play. They interchange these guys in the top six. So keep an eye on whether they're, who they're with before you stack those units. The third line for Tampa is better on, on the ice than it is on paper and in DFS value play, I'll see. I'll say that AJ They're as pesky a unit as you can find outside of the Islanders' fourth line that we highlighted earlier. Yanni Gurd between Blake Coleman and Barclay Goodrow will make opposing uh, forward uh, forwards keep their heads up and uh, they'll chip in the odd goal, too. But uh, really, I like your call on the Carolina def- uh, third line. Andrey Svechnikov has played top six minutes for this team all year and now switched to a third-line role to afford Martinuk that promotion on the left side and give more balance and depth to that third unit, which shows Jordan Stahl off and running with a nice playoff run, Warren Fogel right alongside him. So giving them a bit of a deeper look than they otherwise had during the regular season, and they need all the depth they can get to fend off the the bolts which brings us to our call in this series AJ I'll go first and say that I think the defending cup champions are just warming up and uh, they took a home ice advantage away from Carolina in the first game the second game is a real critical one for the home side I don't think they're going to blow it and they're going to extend the series but I do think Tampa's going to come out on top in a six-game set
2: well, I've been picking Carolina across multiple uh, media appearances and platforms throughout the playoffs, and, and that game one performance didn't really change that for me. I think they'll come out ahead. I think it'll be a close one. Uh, this, you know, Game one won't be the only one game series or one game, one goal contest we see in the series rather, um, but I do have Carolina pulling it
1: off in game seven at home. And that brings us to our last series. I'm going to try and get through this without breaking down, AJ. It's that (laughs) difficult today. Winnipeg Jets facing the Montreal Canadiens. The regular season series went to the Jets by a total uh, total of six games to three. The goalie matchup is a marquee one for sure, AJ. And uh, I know you've got lots to say about both of these guys. Yeah, I
2: mean, it could be, you know, maybe... Well, no, I mean, Colorado Vegas, they've got a pair of Vesna Trophy uh, finalists this year facing off against each other, so that's probably the best matchup of netminers, but this is certainly right there, in Connor Hellybuck, who won the Vesna Trophy last year, Carey Price, who is, you know, widely regarded as one of the best net miners in the league, um, despite what Paul will have you believe if you (laughs) listen to this podcast, um, so yeah, I mean, Carey Price, uh, Connor Hellybuck, uh, both guys capable of stealing a game uh, here, you know, from time to time. Honestly, we saw Connor Haliburton steal four games, if I'm being totally honest, uh, in the in the opening series. So this this will be a goalie matchup and a goalie battle to watch. Um, you know, whether either guy can can cave, I, I think will be uh, you know something something to monitor, and and if. If Helibuck slips up at all, he's not going to get a lot of cushion, I don't think, because Carey Price is not going to give him a lot of leeway on that one.
1: You know, what's interesting for me is both of these guys were in the struggling category late in the regular season, A.J., because Helibuck was in a downright slump uh, as the season wound down, and then he reels off four straight wins against uh, that Uh, two-headed monster in Edmonton that was effectively silenced over a quick set and meanwhile Carey Price didn't play for a month before he came back and and with only I think half a game in the AHL before he played game one of that uh, seven game series against the Leafs and stood on his head in, in long stretches of it so kudos for both of those guys through the first round Uh, you wonder if one of them will crack uh, and be the difference. That'll be the difference in this series, because I think that it's going to be a lot closer than a lot of other people think uh, looking in. And uh, why don't you tell us about the the way the defenses line up for for each of these groups? I, I think they're kind of built similarly, almost.
2: Yeah, I mean, I might give a little bit of edge to to Montreal in terms of the the offensive firepower that they can put out there. I mean, they they do obviously still have Shea Shea Weber. Um, His numbers maybe haven't been quite what they were in in years past. Um, And in the postseason, it's it's been nothing. I mean, so let's let's start there. But I think he's still capable of producing uh, Jeff Petrie for his part, too. I mean, one assist in seven games so far um you know would obviously they would want more out of that but he's certainly capable of producing on the other side you know for winnipeg um names that maybe aren't as uh heard outside of you know western canada there but josh morrissey and neil pionk are certainly uh, capable offensive producers and have done so morrissey four points in the four games pionk with three um both those guys will see power play minutes there's there's questions for me about this third pairing for, for Winnipeg and Tucker Pullman and Logan Stanley. Uh, I'm just not sure about their experience and whether they can hold up there for Montreal's part. You know, you've got uh, Weber and Petri give you two separate units. Ben Sharad, Joel Edmondson are are both shutdown defenders who pair well with an offensive guy there. Uh, And then it depends on who's available, what they want to do in that third group. We've seen a couple of different combinations there. Eric Gustafson, Alexander Romanov, Brett Kulak, even John Merrill, if if healthy. Um, So, yeah, I think Montreal, you're looking at it. You've got guys that can be offensive producers, but haven't. In Winnipeg, you've got some guys that maybe aren't as widely known as being offensive producers, but have done so. And so I think it's it's a good kind of combination um, and an evenly matched uh, set of guys, I think, overall.
1: Well, and I'm wondering, uh, maybe I'll speak out of turn here, but I'm wondering why the Canadians haven't played Alexander Romanoff in the playoffs yet. AJ, he had a a decent rookie season started off well but kind of flagged at the end a little bit but has an offensive upside to his game that I think the bottom pairing certainly doesn't have anything in that regard and they were used very sparingly and it really took a toll on guys like that you highlighted that have the DFS value play value in Montreal and that's Weber and Petrie they were worn out in that seven game set with the Leafs you could see at the end they had nothing to give offensively and totally focused on the defensive side of the puck and uh, Petrie in fact had what could have been a nightmarish end to his season if the Leafs would have pulled off game six because he wound up deflecting two of the the Leaf goals in that game into his own net in that one. So uh, a bit of a nightmarish night in Game 6 for him, but uh, overall has to be happy that he's in the next round and a chance to rewrite his narrative of one of the top offensive defensemen as he was in the regular season. For the Jets, you mentioned the two guys... Pionk and Morrissey have the, the offensive upside back there. The rest of the guys are big physical players in the mold of of the same physical players on the, the Montreal side. I'm going to give a slight edge to the Jets on the back end just because I think that Pionk and Morrissey are going to be a little bit healthier going into this round as the offensive pieces rather than their older uh, skilled counterparts in Montreal. The forward breakdown here for me is an interesting one because the top six forwards in in Winnipeg look very eerily similar to the top six that least trotted out in game one with a healthy John Tavares. Mark Shifley and Paul Stastny holding down the center roles between four wingers that can be really good choices on DFS play every night. And that's Blake Wheeler and Nick, Nikolai Ehlers, Kyle and Here, Luke Dubois don't sleep on third liners in Winnipeg like Andrew Kopp and Mason Aethelman they are regular contributors to the offense and you can add Senator Adam Lowry to the mix so I like the top three forwards here and they have a rugged fourth line that's going to wear out uh, anybody that Montreal throws out because these guys like to play it physical and I'm talking about Trevor Lewis Nate Thompson and Matthew Perreault But uh, when we look over at the Montreal side, I'll begin with the fourth line. Their veteran pairing of Eric Stahl and Corey Perry had a very nice series against the Maple Leafs and played a very key role in that outcome ultimately. Yoel Armia also a factor there. So they get scoring from up and down the roster. And uh, Jasperi Kotkaniemi is a name that I have to mention as well. He had a very nice series against the Maple Leafs after sitting out the first game had an overtime goal, a couple other goals. He was mucking around in in the dirty areas, and I love seeing players that step up their their game in that regard. So he really got a, a key. Uh, got through a baptism of fire in the Leafs series with flying colors, I'll say. Paul Byron and Josh Anderson, they were up and down for me. Josh Anderson had an outstanding game one, but then went MIA the rest of the series, and he needs to up his game to play it physically like he can. Uh, And when he's at the top of that level, he's a scary dude to face because he has the offensive side that goes with it. And then it brings us to the top six, Cole Caulfield, AJ, this guy looked like a raw rookie in this series. Uh, One highlight for him was the overtime, the 2-on-0 breakaway goal that he helped engineer. But otherwise, for me, it it was very hard to find many highlights of him. A couple of shots uh, that uh, were high and off the post or whatever were other highlights. But other than that, I didn't see much from him and uh, would like to see more growth. He's a kid, though, and getting his first start, maybe we'll see more. But I, I think Canadian fans can look forward to a strong partnership for him because I know he has the skills. There's no no doubting that. It's just the experience that he needs. And that partnership that he has with Nick Suzuki will only flourish even more in that regard. And the beneficiary is their left wing, Tyler Toffoli, who had a, a struggle to start this postseason but finished strong. And uh, then the top line that deserves full marks, Philip Deneau, Brendan Gallagher and Jake Evans, they really showed up in the latter part of that first series, and they're going to drive somebody crazy uh, that they get in the first-round matchup, whether it be the first or second line, I'm not sure, but they're going to be a handful, and they're going to limit whatever, whatever line that is to the best of their ability.
2: Well, Paul, I'm just wondering how that crow tasted from having to give uh, you know credit to Barry yes, Kottanemi uh, on top of watching your, your team lose. Uh, I'm shaking my
1: head. I'm shaking my head as I say
2: it. <laughs> but yeah I mean you're you're right I mean he he led the team in goals uh with with three of them so certainly producing well there look I you know I came into this uh expecting to give a heavy favorite to Winnipeg but Paul I think you you sold me a little bit more on on the Montreal forwards here the biggest concern is the potential absence of Thomas Tatar and Terry Lekkinen. if those guys are out for for any Um, extended run of time beyond what they've already missed. Uh, I think the depth uh, losses there, especially on the left-hand side, will start to add up. Um, So they need to get those guys back and and healthy sooner rather than later. Um, But overall, I think I still favor Winnipeg in this one in terms of the forward complements. I love that top top six. Uh, I really think they've finally kind of figured it out um, how best to, to utilize those guys for now and, and to get the most out of them moving forward.
1: Which brings us to our series picks and my mini Stanley cup is awarded to whichever team Montreal gets eliminated by every year. And I'm awarding that to the Winnipeg Jets this season in anticipation of a six game victory in this series against Les Havitants. What's your call? Well,
2: I'm going to take the Jets in five. I know uh, a bit of a, a risky call Montreal ground one out. I, I, talked at length about carry price there but uh i really i like the forwards better the defense as you said for montreal isn't really producing right now so you give him the edge there and then Helly buck was just outstanding in that first series and, and he's not going to face anything like the level of talent he had to face in that that first series and so i expect uh the the jets to make uh, some some quick work here of, of Montreal which I know will do you some good Paul
1: yeah and uh, the fact we didn't mention the Winnipeg Jets came in and rested from this, uh, in the, into this matchup where the Canadians did go 7 games so maybe the first game gets punted uh, just the same way as we saw Vegas and Colorado but AJ uh, we are going to Send this out uh, very soon, and uh, the next time you hear us will be in anticipation of the third-round matchups. We thank all our listeners for being loyal to us all year long and for the questions you've sent us, and we'll wrap up this uh, episode of podcast by urging you to remember and send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. You can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen in to PuckCast. RotoWire's signature fantasy podcast to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody.
0: This is the story of the Wad. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently.